We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. If you have a Bible today, let's open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. First Thessalonians chapter 2, as today we finish this chapter, verses 13 through 20, and we're going to look first of all at the scriptures, just in case you're taking notes. Then the second point is the suffering, and then the last point is the saints. We read in verse 13, it says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. We see, first of all, the scriptures. Paul was grateful uh, for the Thessalonians. If you remember last week, we studied in chapter 1, verse 2, it says, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Paul was grateful to God for the Thessalonians themselves, that they were truly saved. We saw that in chapter 1. But here we see he's grateful for something else. Uh, it's a different reason. Paul, we see here, is grateful to God that they had received the word of God for what it was, for what it is in truth. They had received that message as the message from God. You know, and I get so blessed, and I'm sure you guys do as well, you know, when I come across people who acknowledge this Bible for what it is, this is the Word of God. You know, I know it's the Word of God. Do you know it's the Word of God? I know it's the Word of God. You want to know why? Because the Son of God said it was the Word of God. Jesus said this is the Word of God. And in John chapter 10, verse 35, he said that the Scriptures cannot be broken. Jesus said this is the word of God in the book of Matthew chapter 5 verse 18. He said every jot and tittle would come to pass. And that's the Bible. That's the jot. It's the smallest Hebrew letter. The tittle is the smallest Hebrew mark. Jesus said that it was all the word. It cannot be broken. That all of it would come to pass. That everything would be fulfilled. This is truly God's word, and Paul was so thankful that the Thessalonians had the right attitude towards the scriptures. And you know what? You get so grateful for that. Of course, the contrast is true as well. Do you ever meet someone, have you ever come across somebody who doesn't believe this to be the word of God? And that just breaks your heart when people deny that. They don't receive it. They don't welcome it for what it is. God took the time. God inspired the word. God preserved and protected the word. He gave us his word. And it just breaks your heart when you come across people who don't believe it to be what it is. It's God's love letter to us. You know, yesterday we had the funeral uh, for that young man, only 19 years old. He was hit on the 210 freeway. You guys remember that uh, tragedy? And we did the funeral and afterwards, uh, just talking to different people. And uh, the Lord just said, hey, I want you to do a talk to this guy. End up talking to this young man. And, you know, he says, well, I believe in Jesus, but I don't go to church. I, I don't go to church for two reasons. Number one, there's a lot of hypocrites there. And number two, I don't believe this Bible to be 
God's Word. And so I was talking to him for a while, and I said, you know, I understand there are a lot of hypocrites in the church. You're probably looking for a church where there are no hypocrites, huh? And so when you find it, you're going to go to it, but you're going to ruin it because you're probably a hypocrite too. (laughs) I mean, we don't take that lightly. Please don't misunderstand me. We should not live in insistent, persistent, resistant, consistent sin. We should not. But you know what? This right here, this place, this church is for people who are forgiven. This is for, it's a hospital for, for sinners. It's not a museum for saints. I think in one sense, if you really think about it, unless you're some self-righteous Pharisee, in one sense we're all hypocrites. You know, when I deal with my sin in my, in my life and I'm asking God to deliver me from, from drugs and, and he delivered me from drugs and I don't do drugs anymore, does that mean I won't sin anymore? No. I'll probably then have a struggle with something else. It never ends. Why? Because God is so holy. And I'm so unholy. So I was talking to this guy. I said, you know, I understand your dilemma. There are no perfect churches. And there are many Christians who are not, you know, representing God right. And you know what? Everybody that goes to church doesn't mean they're saved. You have to try to make the distinction there. But Jesus is real. I said, and this really is his word. We were talking about things, and he said, you know, how can you know that's God's word? I mean, men have written their translations over the years. And I said, well, if you believe that God inspired the originals, why is it so difficult for him to protect his copies? Why is it so difficult to believe that he would preserve his manuscripts? As a matter of fact, I tell you what, I believe Jesus over you. Jesus said... This is the word of God. He then died on a cross, was put in a grave, rose again in his power, did so many wonderful miracles, and he said it's the word of God. And so I believe him. As a matter of fact, and then we just started talking, and again, I'm not you know, trying to you know, be mean to this guy. We're just having a, a friendly dialogue. And I told him, I said, you know, what we find is that if you are going to pick and choose in the Bible, well, I think that's true, but that's not true. I think that's true, but that's not true. Then you become the Bible. You make yourself the authority. You judge the Bible. And you know, that's a dangerous place to be when you think you know more than God, when you think you can distinct as far as what's the Lord and what's not. There's a scripture in the book of Proverbs that says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is destruction. You're here today and you're like, well, that doesn't seem right to me. Well, who are you? Where were you when everything was made? You know, recently we bought a a video camera, and it's a nice video camera, but I'll tell you what, I don't know how to use it. You know, like you push the button and it records, but supposedly this video camera has the capacity to do these wonderful things. I just don't know how to do them, right? And so I found out that they have a a manual, a PDF manual, that if you go online, you could read all the directions on how to use that video camera to its fullest capacity. You see, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be these microphones. It could be, you know, whatever, your biology class. Things must be put into writing. And if we know that, how much more so does God know that? God put this manual in writing for us. It's his word. If you ever 
you know, want to watch a good DVD on, on whether or not this, you know, book stands head and shoulders above all other books, I encourage you to rent a DVD by Charlie Campbell. It's called The Evidence for the Trustworthiness of the Bible. Anybody who's open, who's willing to examine the evidence will find there is no book like this book. This Bible is God's word to us. You know, the other day, someone told me about a song by a Christian band. And, I, and it was a kind of a funny day. So I, I went on, I, I got the, the song and I was listening to it. it was a cool song, cool song. But then that same day, uh, we were checking out some things on Facebook and then we saw that this same band, supposedly Christian band, now denies the Bible. You know, and is that possible? Is it possible to be a Christian and not see this as God's word? You know, the band is a band called Gungor. And apparently uh, they don't believe the Bible literally. This is what the article says, dated August 5th. It says, the Christian music world has been a buzz in recent days about the unorthodox theology of celebrated Dove Award-winning musical artists Michael and Lisa Gungor, known for popular worship songs like Dry Bones and Beautiful Things. Citing an interview in the Oakland Press, World Magazine noted that Michael Gungor, 33 years old, revealed that he lost his metaphysic in 2012. The pastor's son from Wisconsin, according to the World Magazine, also reflects his departure from traditional Christianity on his latest album. This is what he said. He said, I have no more ability to believe, for example, that the first people on earth were a couple named Adam and Eve that lived 6,000 years ago. I have no ability to believe that there was a flood that covered all the highest mountains of the world only 4,000 years ago and that all the animal species that exist today are here because they were carried on an ark and then somehow walked or flew all around the world from a mountain in the Middle East after the water dried up. He continued, I have no more ability to believe these things than I do to believe in Santa Claus or not to believe in gravity. He said, I try to find some value in them as stories, but nothing more. You know, it's funny. He said, I can't believe in Adam and Eve. He said, I believe in Jesus, but not Adam and Eve. Jesus believed in Adam and Eve. He said, I don't believe in, in Noah and this flood. Jesus did. <laughs> you know, as a matter of fact, Jesus affirmed all the most incredible stories of the Old Testament, all the most incredible stories of the Bible. One of the most was Jonah. You know, a lot of people have a hard time, you know, whether or not Jonah was in the belly of a, of a whale, but Jesus didn't. How can someone say they believe in Jesus but deny the very things that he believes in? So you take out the Bible, and who's the authority? Yourself. That's why it's so important that we understand what we have in our hands. You guys, you know, Paul, in going to Thessalonica and sharing the word of God, now he's writing the letter, and he was so grateful, he was so grateful that when they received the word, they did not receive it as the word of men, but they received it for what it really was, and that is the word of God. You guys know what Bible stands for, right? B-I-B-L-E? You guys know what that stands for? Basic instructions before leaving earth. Amen. I like that. The children's ministry, they teach you a lot, I'll tell you. 
<laughs> Make no mistake about it. This is the word of God. Paul was blessed that they acknowledged that. And since it's God's word, it's different than any other book. It's different than any other message. It's different than any other word. You know, when you read the Bible, Hebrews 4.12 says that this is a living word. And here we see that it's a working word. Notice again there in verse 13, if you would. He says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. You know, the Word of God is a living Word. The Word of God is a working Word. How many of you here take vitamins, just out of curiosity? You know, and I don't know really what it is. All I know is my wife gives me those Flintstone vitamins, and, um, you know, she says, here, take two, right? And I eat them, and I just know they do something inside of me. I'm not sure what. And, and in one sense, and it's much, obviously, much greater than that, the Word of God, when you take it in, when it falls on good ground, on soft soil, when it goes into your heart, it works in you. It's living, it's alive, and it's working in us. Obviously, the first thing the Word of God does is it saves us. Saves us. According to 1 Peter 1.23, it says, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. You see, we're born again by the word of God. Someone comes to you and they give you the message, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That message, when it falls on good ground and soft soil and open hearts, that message, when received and believed and welcomed into one's life, saves you. That's why in the Gospel of John chapter 3, Jesus said you've got to be born again. You must be born of water and the word. You must be born of water and the Word. You must be born of the water and the Spirit. And so what you find is that the water, according to Ephesians 5, is the, is the Word. You know, because Jesus is washes in his church with the Word, right? And what you find is that when that Word of God meets with the Spirit of God in the heart of a child of God, God gives them life. See, it's conception. And that's what the Word of God does you know, Psalm 19.7, it says the same thing. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. And so the word works effectively. Uh, it's like a seed. It saves us. And the word also works in us by sanctifying us. Jesus prayed to the Father in John 17.17, 17, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. How many of you here, you want to be like Jesus? You know, I want to be like Jesus. I want that so desperately. I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good dad. I want to be a good pastor. I want to be a godly man. I want to change. I don't want to be me. The Bible says, you know, let Jesus express himself through you, Galatians 2.20. He lives in you, right? And the way that, that God does that is he takes his word and his word saves us and his word sanctifies us. And when you think of sanctification, don't think of some religious term, some Pharisaic person. No, think of someone like Jesus who was friends to the sinners, who was used by God in such a mighty way. See, that's the sanctification that God wants to work in our life. There's a common saying among Christian circles, and that is that God's commandment is God's enablement. 
God's commandment is God's enablement. So the word is alive. The word works. So that with that word, God teaches us, but God also touches us. With that word, God expresses to you his will, but he also empowers you with that word to do his will. When God talks to me and he says, Okay, Manny, love your wife. It's not just some dry, objective expression from God telling me what to do. It's also a word that's alive, that when I hear that from him, that I'm to love my wife, and when that word falls on good ground, it works in me and it gives me the capacity to love my wife. You see, that's what the word does. It sanctifies us. It saves us. It lives in us. It works through us. That's why it's so important to be in the word, you guys. You be in the Word and you let the Word be in you. Maybe you're here today and you're struggling. You're not loving your wife. You're not loving your husband. And you're making a, a grip of excuses. And God is saying, this is what you need to do. You need to get back on your knees. And you need to have an open Bible. And you need to start crying out to God. Get in the Word. Let the Word get into you. And you watch what God will do. And the Word works effectively. It's like a seed. It saves and sanctifies and he makes us more and more like Christ. You know, this is not just religious stuff. This is nitty-gritty. This is real life. This is the person who goes through the hard times. Yes, because we go through the hard times. But even though we go through the hard times and the devil is doing everything he can to take you away from the Lord, you're still here. See, that's what we see next. Look at verse 14. It says, For you, brethren became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea and Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen just as they did from the Judeans. Paul says, you know, you guys, I'm so grateful to God because, man, when we came to you and we gave you the message, you received it for what it was. It was the word of God. I'm so grateful to that. And that word works in you. It's working in you. One of the things I see is that you are such a strong witness, you're being persecuted. You're such a strong witness that you're suffering. And even though you're suffering, you're still abiding in Jesus Christ. And he was so blessed by that. Paul said in verse 14, so much so that they became imitators of the churches of God that were in Judea and that they suffered at the hands of their own countrymen. The Greek word translated as imitators is that Greek word mimetes. And where we get our English word mimic, they mimicked the churches of God in Judea, Jerusalem. They, they mimicked the real church. Not just some wannabe church, the real church there in Judea and Jerusalem. They mimicked them, the church of God in Judea. And he's just, man, so blown away. You guys are real. You're not some of those plastic Christians that are out there. There's heart to you, and you're witnessing, and you're being persecuted and opposed because of that witness. Just like the churches over in Judea, where the first church started. See, the Judeans suffered persecution primarily from the Jews in Judea, and the Thessalonians suffered persecution. If you read Acts 17, that's the background to this from their countrymen. That's what the Bible says here. 
And when I read Acts 17, I see it was the Jews who were in Thessalonica, but maybe they stirred up the Thessalonians that didn't believe. All I know is that they suffered persecution at their hands. And understand this, you guys. When you get hit with persecution, it's a good sign. You know, in the world that we live in today, there's a lot of persecution going on. There's a lot of people who are dying, suffering. Uh, we know Pastor Saeed. We need to pray for him. You guys know what's going on in Iraq. You guys know the, uh, the tragedies that this crazy, demonic, dark, depraved group named ISIS, they're killing Christians. They're killing innocent people. And they're calling for the, the murder of Pastor Saeed in Iran, in Iraq. All these things are happening, right? And so here we are in America, and you're wondering, well, what about us? Are we being persecuted? Maybe you are. Maybe because you're a Christian, you didn't get that promotion. Maybe because you're a Christian, your boss is coming against you. Maybe because you're a Christian, you're being ostracized. And you weren't invited to the family reunion or whatever. And then so they have the family reunion, and then you find out about it, and you're like, hey, I didn't get invited. And so you call up your, your you know, auntie, hey, how come I didn't get invited to the family reunion? She says, oh, you didn't get the invite? I thought we sent it out to you. No. You just don't like me, huh? Because I talk about Jesus. That can happen. And that's actually a good sign. As a matter of fact, if you're not being persecuted, then more than likely something's wrong. You're probably compromising somewhere. You're probably trying to make everybody happy. Rather than trying to, first of all, make them holy. Rather than trying to bring them to the Lord. So we had to be careful. Jesus said in Matthew 5, when they persecute and revile you and say all kinds of evil things against you, he said, jump for joy, rejoice, for great is your reward in heaven. And so here they are, and they're, they're suffering. They were staying with the Lord, even though, man, they were there in such a difficult setting. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Two words I want you to notice in that verse. All and will. See, if you're really living for the Lord, you can't say, well, it's because I live in a, in a Christian country and there's no opposition, there's no persecution because I kind of live in a Christian country. No, the word is all. All. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus and then it doesn't say might. It says they will. They will suffer persecution. And so the enemy, basically, he'll come after you. And the question is, what will you do at that point? A lot of people, they, they slow down. And I pray that we wouldn't. And I read a story. Uh, it was a story that took place during China's Boxer Rebellion of 1900. And apparently insurgents captured a mission station and they blocked all the gates but one. And so in front of that one gate, what they did was they placed a cross flat on the ground. And then the word was passed to those that were inside that anyone who would be willing to come out and trample the cross underfoot would be permitted their freedom and life. But they that were refusing would be shot. And so terribly frightened, the first seven students came out of that mission station and they trampled underfoot 
the cross that was set before them and their life was spared. But then an eighth person came out. It was a young lady. And what she did was she came out and she kneeled at the foot of the cross. And she got up and she went with eyes wide open to the firing squad. And it was there that they killed her. But you want to know what happened after that? 99 followed her example. And they did not trample that cross underfoot. You see, when we get tested, you know, we're going to get tested. People are watching us. How will we react to persecution? It's a good thing if you get persecuted. Mimic the real church. Mimic. The Judean church mimic the church at Jerusalem. You see, because you're in good company. I mean, I don't know about you, but I mean, I like you guys a lot. But I tell you what, I love Jesus a lot more. <laughs> I want to be with Jesus. They hate me. They'll hate me. And I'm at the funeral, and I'm preaching the gospel, and I'm getting these ugly looks. <sighs> no, I'm just joking. They didn't do that. But, you know, <laughs> they hate me. Because they hate Jesus. That's okay with me. Right? Look what Jesus said in verse 15, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And they do not please God and are contrary to all men. They killed the Lord Jesus. They killed the prophets of God. Like Isaiah, when they sawed him in two. Or like Stephen when they stoned him. Jesus said in Matthew 23, he knew all about those that got killed from Abel all the way to Zechariah. Jesus knows about all of them. They killed the prophets of God and then they persecuted, it says right here, Paul and his crew as well. You know, a lot of times these guys are doing this. Paul was one at one time who did this because they thought that they were pleasing God. And right here he says, no, they don't please God. They do not please God. And they are contrary, it says right here, or hostile towards all men. It's just rather you know, like an evil irony that here they are thinking they're doing good when in all reality they're doing the two things that are bad. See, life can really only be summed up in two things. Number one, pleasing God. And number two, helping people. That's what it's all about. You know, sometimes we think, well, no, it's about you know getting money or getting a house or... You know, whatever it might be, the white picket fence, and you want to have fun, and you want to be entertained, or whatever it might be. And God is saying, no, let me just strip it down to the bare essentials that will really bring you satisfaction in your life. Number one, live for the glory of God. Live to please Him. And then number two, live for the good of mankind. Live for people. Those were the two things that they were not doing. They were not pleasing God. And in their hypocrisy, they themselves, and a lot of times that can happen, in your hypocrisy and in your self-righteousness, you are acting contrary to God. You're doing more damage than good. Be really careful with that. That's the opposite goal of our life. Look at verse 16. He says, this is what they're doing, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. 
so as to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. And let me just tell you kind of theologically, you know, practically what's going on. They, they, won't, they won't let us preach to the Gentiles. You know, they, they won't let us talk to them so that we can see them get saved. And God is allowing it right now because their sins are piling up and piling up. It's piling up. It's kind of like a debt. You know, someone's just building up debt and then one day God's going to judge them. That's what Paul is talking about right here. The, the wrath has come upon them. This is a big wrath to the uttermost. Now just in case you're wondering, some people think, well, this is in reference to the Jews and that's why the church kind of got confused in thinking that we can blame the crucifixion of Jesus on the Jews. But it's not that. Who put Jesus on the cross? We did. Our sins put him there. Don't ever blame it on a race or the Romans. We did it. But individually speaking, those people who do such things as this, one day they will stand before God and they will give an account. You see, the great sin would bring great judgment. And what we find is that God will judge individuals one day. And so, you know, I pray that today in going through our study, we would have a real, a real healthy view of the scriptures. You know what, what, what I like in the Bible? It says in the book of Isaiah, I can't remember the verse. It, it talks about people who tremble at his word. I like that. Please, don't see this as another book that you put on the ground or it collects dust or you only open up on Sunday mornings, if that. I mean, this is God's word to you. Saturate yourself in the scriptures. This word right here will save. This word right here will sanctify. And as you're living for the Lord, you're sold out and surrendered. You're completely committed to him. Understand, you're going to suffer. You're going to be persecuted, but that's okay. As a matter of fact, in the book of Acts, they were praising God that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And then what we find next is that we have to see the saints for what they are. Look at verse 17. It says, But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire, Therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory and joy. There in verse 17, he said we were taken away. It's interesting, the Greek word talks about being orphaned. And last week we saw how Paul and, and, and the leaders were kind of like parents to the church. Here, they were taken away. And you kind of see that, that message, it continues on, they were separated from their parents, so to speak. And, and when that happened, more than likely this is what happened, that people were coming up to the Thessalonians and they were saying, that Paul guy, you know, he split when when the going got tough, when it got hot. He doesn't really love you guys. He's not interested in coming back. He's going to stay out of trouble. More than likely, that's what they were saying. 
But Paul said, yeah, we were taken away. We were stripped away from you. But let me tell you something. You never left our hearts. We love you guys. And we were trying our best, you know, to get back to you. It says we, you know, were taken away for a short time in presence, not in heart. We, we tried so hard to get back to you. We want to see you with, with great desire. It's a, same word Jesus used, fervent desire. The word is just literally desire, desire. You don't know how bad we wanted to be with you. We wanted to go back. We wanted to see how you were doing. We wanted to do it right away. But what happened? It says right here in verse 18, but Satan hindered us. You know, Satan got in the way of what we wanted to do. Literally, it just says Satan stopped us. You know, and just as a side note, you guys, I think it's important to identify these things. You know, in the book of Acts, in chapter 16, on their second missionary journey, uh, Paul and Silas, they were going, they were traveling, and then, if you remember, it tried to go, they tried to go north, and the Bible says the Holy Spirit did not permit them. And then they tried to go south, and the Bible says the Holy Spirit did not permit them, Right? And so sometimes God closes doors, right? But here it doesn't say that. What does it say? It says Satan hindered us. So you're going through life, and I'll be honest with you, you wonder, and I wonder sometimes, I wonder, Lord, is that you or is that the devil? Do you ever wonder that? Does anybody, you guys ever wonder that? You're going through life and you're wondering, is that God or is that the devil? Well, uh, and some of you might not even care. You might not even well, does it really matter? You know what? It does matter. It does matter. Because if it's God closing the door, then do you want to open that door? You're going to fight against God? And some people, they do fight against God. You know? And what ends up happening? God says, okay, you're going to be sorry. If God's closing the door, then don't try to pound it down. But if it's Satan closing the door, Satan trying to get in the way and you know it's the enemy, then you do not stop fighting. You don't. You don't stop praying. Jesus said this kind doesn't come out except through prayer and fasting. you got to know if it's God or if it's the devil. Not everything's the devil. Some people think everything's the devil. No. Sometimes it's the Lord. But sometimes it is the devil and it is his demons. And when it is him and he's got a stranglehold on your loved one or whatever, he's some demonic oppression that is capturing someone or maybe even a possession, then you have to approach it in a different way. You know, how can you know the difference? I believe through prayer and discernment. You know, the Bible talks about discernment in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 10. It says, To another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits. You're going to be able to tell if it's the Lord, the Holy Spirit, or a demon himself. God will give you insight. And then you know what to do. You know, in life, you know, it's cool just to know how things operate. You know, that Satan has a certain element of authority. We know in the Gospel of Luke, and Satan, in Luke chapter 4, verse 6, the Bible reveals that he has a certain element of authority, and to a certain extent, he rules. 
But here's the thing. God overrules. And that's where we really have to get in line with him. Otherwise, what's going to happen? Satan will have his way. Let me ask you a question. Right here it says Satan hindered us. Satan stopped us right from going to them. He stopped them from going to them, but did he stop them? No, he didn't. So Paul the Apostle found out it was the enemy, and then he started praying, and he started fasting, and he just started just calling out to the Lord in Jesus' name, the blood of Christ, the cross of Christ, sovereign God, saving God, fasting, seeking, shedding tears on his knees, on his face, crying out for the Thessalonians, knowing it was a battle. He knew it was a battle he had to fight. And so what happened? What did he do? Does anybody know? Since he couldn't go to them, what did he do? He wrote a letter. He wrote a letter. He wrote the Bible. What the enemy intended for evil, God catapulted to good. I mean, a lot of people believe that 1 Thessalonians is the first letter that Paul ever wrote. How many of you here like writing letters? Not that many. (laughs) You guys are bad. (laughs) But you start writing letters, and then, you know what, all of a sudden you're like, hey, this is pretty cool. Who knows, maybe there was a time where Paul, you know, didn't like writing letters, but then this happened, and Satan stopped him from going to them in a physical way, so he said, okay, I'll just write a letter, and he wrote a letter, and that ended up being the first letter that he wrote in the Bible. He would write 12 more letters of the Bible, and we're still here today studying it. You see, what God intended for evil, God used, what the enemy intended for evil, God used for good. See? I mean, even yesterday at the funeral, I was like, Going into the funeral, I knew, the Lord gave me a word. He said, this is not your battle. He said, I have this. I'm, a, I'm on the throne in this, in this funeral. Going into it. Because going into it, he just had me pray. That's all he said. I just want you to pray. Pray, pray, pray. So I prayed, and then I went to the funeral. And then, you know, we're doing the funeral, and um, something was strange happened never happened to me and that is um, you know they had the eulogies and then the musician came up before I gave the message the musician gave came up started playing and next thing you know everybody's coming up and they're all looking at the at the you know the body and they're offering their condolences to the family and just basically everybody's like all talking and laughing and crying and I'm like hey wait a minute time out I haven't done the message yet you know And so I had the choice. I could go up there and say, all of you, sit down. Listen to me. (laughs) And and the Lord just said, no, remember what I told you? I'm on the throne. I gave the message. I don't know know, how many were, were listening. Some were listening. But as a result of that, because of that, what I ended up doing, rather than just leaving, a lot of times I'll just leave, is as I hung around. It changed me. It changed my plan. It made me hang around and talk to him and talk to them, talk to these young boys. I was just talking to everybody. You know, I'm not a social butterfly. You guys know me, right? But I was a social butterfly yesterday, man. I had, I had something in me that I normally don't have. I had that in me, and I was just 
let me talk to you, let me talk to you. And then even at the end, I got a chance to talk to all these young people. There's probably about a good 10, 12 young people that are sitting there in the parking lot. And I just had so much joy in being able to go up and talk to them and share the Lord with them. They were all having a beer, you know, to, to, to Justin. And I said, hey, man, you don't need that. <laughs> let me tell you about Jesus. I, I wouldn't have done that if, you know, the enemy hadn't done his thing. You see, it just changes everything. We saw what happened with Joseph. We saw what happened with Moses. And we saw what happened with Jesus when he died on that cross. The, you know, the greatest tragedy of all, in one sense, became you know, the greatest triumph. And so he says in verse 18, Therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but, but Satan hindered us. He knew it was Satan. Because he says, for what is our hope or, or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory and joy. They were saying that Paul didn't care. Paul was saying, oh yes, I do. I tell you what, Thessalonians, I would love to be with you. I, I would love... Uh, to be there in Thessalonica. But even more than that, I want you to be there in heaven. And you know, one day when we get to heaven, you know, I don't know what you guys, do you guys ever think about heaven? You ever think about that? What's it going to be like? You're like, fat-free pizza. It's going to be cool. And I'm going to have a really nice house. It's going to be one of those smart houses. Bluetooth everywhere. No wires. I mean, you name it. We start thinking about all these things. I'm going to be tall and no more gray hair. I'll be buff. I'll have a six-pack like that, you know. I don't know. We start thinking about all these things in heaven. But what's going to be your reward? Are you going to get a crown? Are you going to get a million dollars? And I know you guys know that we don't, we don't want any of that. Heaven is him. And heaven is you. You. That's what he's saying. You're my reward. You're my joy. You're my crown. I love you. And I want you to be in the presence of God. And then after we worship him for a long, amazing time, then we'll have our garden asada barbecue reunion, right? In heaven. It's going to be cool. You know, the Bible says the same thing about Jesus. In Hebrews 12, verse 2, it says, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the Father. You see, what kept Jesus on the cross was the joy of you and I in the kingdom of God. Don't ever forget that, you guys. I know life is hard. I know we have challenges, multiple distractions. But I pray that today God would take his word and he just plant it in your hearts and that we would know uh, how to approach the scriptures and how to approach suffering and even how to approach the saints. One day, man, we'll be home in heaven. And if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, you're not a Christian, 
And I pray that today you would receive him into your heart as Lord and Savior. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.